Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live inside the Beltway, and I want to tell you that today Dr. Larry Arn is my guest for the Hillsdale Dialogue, and it's going to be an interesting Hillsdale Dialogue for a couple of reasons. Um, he runs a school, a university. He's in charge by one remove of charter schools all over the country. He has to worry about school security. He is also married to a Brit, and we are in the middle of the Queen's uh, Platinum Jubilee, so i got a lot of ground to cover. Next week we're going to talk about teaching, and then we're going to begin a course on the ethics that Hillsdale already has up at hillsdale.edu. But I want to begin with the happy and then go to the sad, Dr. Arn. The Queen is a remarkable lady, 70 years. We'll be celebrating the Platinum Jubilee of the Hugh Hewitt Show on July the 10th, 2070. Will you join us for that? I'll be there, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're and counting on modern medicine. There too. <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne doesn't move that fast. I'm not sure if he's going to be. So uh, for, what, what do you think of Elizabeth II? Well, she's a great woman. She's, uh, she, she, I, I fear for the monarchy. I, I, I have learned from my wife to love the monarchy. Uh, and I've learned from Churchill, too. Uh, the important thing about the monarchy is it reigns, but it does not rule, and yet it is also a step in the constitutional process. Uh, she, she, they have a function still. They used to be the executive branch of the British government. You know, the king was the, the man, or the woman. But uh, now, they, what they do is they confer with the prime minister weekly, so he goes to see her, or writes her a letter, and those letters, when they when, when, when they're discoverable, and there aren't many that are, only ones from a long time ago, they're really interesting. Um, uh, and, and then, uh, then uh, the government over the summer, before the opening of Parliament, makes up its program, and she reads it. She gets in a car, and she drives to, from Buckingham Palace to Westminster, the Palace of Westminster, where the Parliament is, where Big Ben is, and she, uh, and she goes in a certain gate, and she goes into a room that's called the throne room on the side of the House of Lords, and everybody, uh, the whole House of Commons, which is bigger than the House of Lords, comes down a long hallway, and they gather in the House of Lords, and they hear her read the Queen's Speech, it's called, and that's the government announcing what it's going to do this year. And because they're the government, they have a majority in Parliament, Generally, they can do it. Uh, and the ceremony about that is very neat. If you go, to, if you go to Britain, go to go visit, go tour the Houses of Parliament. They're they're awesome, and they're what 400 years old now. Uh, the the door, if you if you face the the long ways, the House of Con- the Palace of Westminster, the it's a long building, and. Big Ben is on the far left, and the House of Commons is immediately below that. And the uh, the bailiffs walk the whole long distance from the Lords to the Commons. And then they use the staff and they knock on the door. Huh. And and that's been going on since they knock. They have to be admitted. They do not demand admittance. 
And that's a tradition that began when they beheaded Charles I, who invaded the place with troops and, and uh, tried to arrest Oliver Cromwell and others. So now they knock, <laughs> and, they, and, they, and, the door, and then a little thing slides over, and they look to see who's there. And then they open the door, and the queen, invi- her majesty, invites you, right? And then they all process down this long hallway, uh, along the hallway, by the way, are murals of things that have happened in, in, the, house, in, the, in the Palace of Westminster, and one of them is Cromwell. I mean, sorry, Charles I, going down there with troops. No, no, they're all reminded, don't do that anymore. Uh, and, then, and then she gives the address, and then that's, and so that's a formal constitutional thing, and, and she has to read it. And so it's unlikely that, for example, behead the monarch again is going to get into the speech. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that the word stoic is applicable to Elizabeth II? Well, uh, in a way, yeah. She, she's, uh, you know, she's been there so long and done this so long that she is the job now. She once said to Sir Martin Gilbert, my teacher, who spent Easter weekend with, at, at uh, Windsor Castle with her, called it magical, uh, he said that he broke through and talked to the woman herself just once. Uh, if you're around her, uh, uh, a social awkwardness is impossible. Uh, he said that uh, the Turkish ambassador was one of the guests that weekend, and he said if the Turkish ambassador had made the mistake of forgetting his trousers, that wouldn't have been a problem. They would have produced trousers. <laughs> you know, it, uh, uh, he uh, he did he did say uh, to her, uh, "Ma'am, do you, do you have any Turners? You know, the great British painter Turners here at Windsor." And Martin Gilbert thought this was funny. She said, "No, but do you admire this Rubens?" <laughs> so it was, you know, <laughs> You know, the, I have heard attributed to her the phrase, the essence of good taste is never to be offended by bad taste. That's it. And, and I think that is a wonderful admonition. So I, I know we are Anglophiles and we are inclined to think of her highly. The only thing that bums me out is that if uh, Pope Francis goes as long as the Queen, the Catholic Church in America will be uh, smitten. Uh, it will be uh, basically an anarcho-syndicalist commune. You know, it's it just if if he's got her longevity, we're in trouble as a church. Um, church I think would we can like ha- to say you say this about Francis. He said this about uh, a very left-wing, troublesome minister named Stafford Cripps. He said, okay. "There, but for the grace of God, goes God." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the, the 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 jubilee is underway. Now I'm going to switch very suddenly. Um, before we go to the break, and we got two minutes to do this, when you heard about the shooting of Uvalde, um, you are the president of a college that has thousands of people working on it. What did you think? Well, you know, of course, I thought it's tragic and sad. What could be worse than a bunch of dead kids piled up and their parents waiting to get in to see them? It's just, you know, it's and the terror of those kids. And this went on for quite a while at Uvalde, and uh, so you just, it's just a horrific thing to think about and see. Um, so I thought about that, and, you know, then, of course, the next thing that pops in my mind is security. Yes. 
and we have security at Hillsdale College. Do, do you have your own gendarmerie? Is there a Hillsdale Police Department? Oh, yeah, and they're awesome, too. They can. Uh, uh, when I came to the college, uh, I once called security because some fraternity boys were about to alight the head of a deer on a post in front of my house, and my wife spied them from our bedroom upstairs and said, don't run out there. There's somebody with a camera. They're going to take your picture looking at this flaming deer head. And I got clever, and I said, uh, I said, I called them, and I said, you go park on the street right over here, and then we'll surround them, and we'll catch them. And what got out of the car was an 80-year-old man. Ah! <laughs> so, so I thought, you know, well, anyway, we've got a trained, highly trained, probably best trained, in, at least in southern Michigan. They train others. They're either SWAT cops or special forces experience, and they practice shooting four times as often as any of the cops around here. And they're and they're also great people. I mean, they're you know because they they're the kind of people who are very physically and and uh, competent, very competent in their jobs, and they want to live in Hillsdale, Michigan, and they have families, you know. So it's a it's a great bunch and. I talk to them about subjects like that. They at our campus, they have lines of fire uh, organized for assault. They have the most sensitive places on the campus identified. When there's a lot of students in those places, one of them is sitting there with a buddy talking or somebody and talking and just just a regular civilian. You can't tell he's a security guy. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of security at Hillsdale College, and and we do a, well. I it's, uh, we do a version of something I recommend about all this. Something I think that will work. Hold, hold that thought because I want you to advise. And when we come back, and we're going to go to break, every school board president and principal in America, because I think Hillsdale does this right. I've talked with Doctor Arn about this off air before, and I'm putting him on the spot. But I want you to listen. I want to let, let, have you benefit from the wisdom that they have developed. How long have you been up there? Have you got a silver jubilee coming up soon or something <laughs> like that? Platinum, no. 22 years. <laughs> 22 years. So he's, he's not as long-lived as the Hugh Hewitt Show, but he's been running college for a lot longer than Dwayne's been running me. So don't go anywhere, America. Dr. Larry on the Hillsdale Dialogue continues. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are collected at iTunes under that title, Hillsdale Dialogues. All things Hillsdale including the application to be a part of the next class at hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. I'm not using my typical Hillsdale Dialogue music. We're playing Jerusalem and other uh, celebratory music honoring Queen Elizabeth and her 70th year on the British throne. Uh, Dr. Larry Arn and I, though, are talking about a very serious subject, which is how does a leader, whether you're a school board, school board president, superintendent, or principal, select the people who will protect your campus and thus the lives of your students? So, Dr. Arn, you were about to say. Uh, well, so, you know, we don't have uh, as much latitude over the public school, the charter schools that we help sponsor. We don't own them, and they're public schools, and there are more regulations. But a form of what we do is, I think, what should be done in those schools. And uh, you have a recommendation in the Washington Post, and it costs $50 billion, and this wouldn't cost that much. And the problem you're trying to solve 
Hillsdale, Michigan, is a very small town. Right? It's eight thousand people, and that means and the sheriff's office and the police station are three or four minutes away, uh, and they would probably get here in about that time. They're very good. Uh, a lot of damage can be done in three or four minutes. So as near as can be, uh, you want somebody there to respond. And it has to be sort of part of the normal functioning of the place. And so I think the answer is in American history. Uh, I think that we should deputize uh, civilians. Uh, in the case of schools, there will be parents with military and law enforcement experience, and they should be employed in the school, best of their volunteers. They should have training. It's not, it's not, you know, first of all, they've got to be the right kind of people, and there are ways to tell if they are. But they should train regularly because, like, I don't have a concealed weapons permit myself, although I very much believe in that. And, and one of the reasons is if there's a shooter on our campus, and I'm near it, and I would be near it if I'm, on, if I'm in town, I, I wouldn't be very good at that because I don't train. And also, I have a lot of things I have to do because I'm the man in charge. You know, one of the things you do is you have to designate somebody in charge. And there are four people designated on our campus, and they, they go in order, and I'm the, I'm the first. So if I'm there, and so I don't need to be crawling around on my belly trying to figure out how to work a pistol. Although I do shoot pistols more lately, and I'm fancy I'm not too bad at it. Uh, so if you, you, you want people around, and you want them to know how to use a gun, and they need to be responsible people, and they need to practice a lot. And people who know how to do it in a supervisory role need to watch them practice. And they need to practice what they would do if there's an active shooter, which is the terminology we use around here. And we've never had one of those, and I don't think we will. But, I pray God that you don't. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, why not be ready? And, uh, and the overhead of it is greatly diminished if the people are civilians, especially people who are going to be at the school anyway. Uh, you know, you, you should, like, there, there's, in, there'll be a teacher or an administrator or a parent, likely, that's got experience at this kind of thing, and they should keep it up. And, you know, if as many of them as you can find like that, up to some point at least, you should have quite a few. And they should have a rotation. They should be around. Uh, and see, there's a, uh, you know, first of all, the terrible thing, uh, well, some, everything about Uvalde is terrible. A very One very bad thing is, the cops have apparently stood around nearby and listened to gunshots go off in a room where there's a bunch of kids. Yes, they did. Now, if that's true, that's dishonor. That's, you know, wow. And I don't think if there were parents outside, you know, and as I say, parents who have experience and who train, uh, you know, parents volunteer. Parents are not nearly well, welcome enough in the schools today. We're going to come back to that because um, I'm going to go back to what my recommendations were to move the Senate forward 
and talk about Dr. Arn's recommendations as well. Don't go anywhere, America. America, the Hilldale Dialogue is underway a week after the massacre in Uvalde and on the occasion of the Queen's 70th uh, year on the throne of Great Britain. So we play music to honor her and then we turn our conversation back to the, uh, the terrible tragedy and horror that was Uvalde and Buffalo and everything else. Dr. Arn actually has to worry about this in a real concrete way, whereas I talk about it and write about it. What I wrote in the post, uh, the 40 to 50 billion dollars, is simply the extrapolation from TSA numbers to employ 47,000 people at airports to put two armed officers at the nation's 131,000 public and private K through 12 schools. Now, I don't know that the Congress has to actually appropriate that because there's a lot of money in school budgets that is wasted. There's a lot of money in police department budget that is not appropriated for officers in the field. I don't know what it would cost. But here's why I didn't suggest civilians, Dr. Arn, is because I'm talking to senators, and to hit the middle, they have to get 60 votes. And we have an almost gunophobic uh, uh, group of leftists who, for some reason, dismiss out of hand the idea that a parent or a non-police officer can be competent. I don't, but I'm, I'm most centered on what is possible uh, you are very active in various states. I'm, I bet the governors of those states, as you set up charter schools for them, will say to you, I can't, I can't possibly put armed parents on a school. On the other hand, any parent in a school is better than no parent in a school, especially if they, you know, I've watched my grandson's baseball game. He's got four coaches, two of whom are active duty military. And I don't, those coaches would find chairs, baseball bats, and whatever they needed to do whatever they had to do to stop a killer, and their lives would be put on the line. Yeah, That's well, the, what you get with parents. The first line of defense is the people who are potential victims. And, you know, the, in other words, if you had your 50-bit whatever it cost, the response time would still be long, Right. And if you distribute, I mean, that, you know, so this, this, first of all, this is a practical idea that, that, you know, I thought through because, you know, I don't be a very bad day for everybody concerned, and including for me, if a bunch of people got shot at Hillsdale College. You know, I mean, that's, so we try to prepare for that. And, and so when you think about it, you, you get somewhere. Right. If you and see, one thing is we have, I won't say the number, but we have several highly professional people, and one of them is on duty 24 hours a day, and mostly three or four of them are on duty at a time, and they they patrol, but also a bunch of students are uh, involved in the security forces of the college, and once you do that, that means knowledge of how it works goes everywhere. Yes. You want that knowledge. Tell me about the student participation. By the way, I think that is brilliant because, you know, they couldn't find the keys to the room. They yeah. could not find the keys to the room, uh, which just tells me, I don't know how often they train, but they didn't think about the obvious things, which is, you know, how do you get the keys to the room to the officer who's going to breach? Yeah, see, that's, and, and, you know, so the students are mostly military experienced students, and they prove, you know, they apply. And just like every other job at Hillsdale College, there are more people apply than we can hire. 
and we choose them from the class of person known as resident advisors, RAs, and they make some money and they help to run the dorms. And then, and you know, most, we don't have very many rules at Hillsdale College, but they are mostly enforced by these RAs, which means we hardly ever find the students, although they have the power to do that. Mostly, you know, the way we correct things around here, say, wait, don't do that. <laughs> you know, and they say, okay. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you need, and see, you need people to know. Uh, people, people need to feel responsible for their own well-being. It's a better way to live. And, you know, just remember, like, I'm guided by too much old knowledge myself, but if you just read Alexis de Tocqueville, and he describes America with the eyes of a French aristocrat, and he, the best thing in it, in my opinion, and, you know, there are many good things in it, is that he describes how Americans are responsible for enforcing the law. And it's a whole attitude, right? In other words, how many, how big a police force should you want? Well, as many as there are adults. And, and they should walk around feeling responsible for the people near them. And the idea that, you know, it's a, in a crisis, it comes down to an attitude, right? Are we going to wait for a professional? Because that'll take time to come, and yet we're the ones being killed here. Uh, we have a video we show. Uh, everybody watches it every year. And there are drills every year for all the security. And, and uh, there's a couple of campus-wide briefings and drills about all this. And... So people around here know what's going to happen. Now, it's not on their minds very much, right? Uh, but just go through the drill, and then the way you run the whole place, you need everybody to feel responsible for the college. The college well, let, is a partnership. Yes. Yeah. Now, let me talk to you about the Second Amendment. Now, I happen to know my way around that, and I reread Heller, and I quoted it in the Washington Post. And I am astonished. I shouldn't be, but I'm always astonished at constitutional literacy in this country. The Constitution invests an individual citizen with the right to own and bear arms. And that can only be breached um, when there are compelling circumstances and if the breach of that is narrowly drawn. And upon that also lie due process rights, which require notice and evidentiary hearing prior to the seizure of a weapon or denial of the right to purchase. There are laws that work, red red, red flag laws. But I am astonished by the left in this country whose response is to disarm citizens who have done nothing wrong. And it speaks to the deep constitutional illiteracy that is a plague. It's a plague. We are not England. We are not Canada. I don't care what Justin Trudeau said. Our Constitution, which is the Constitution until it is amended, has been authoritatively interpreted and incorporated the Second Amendment via the 14th Amendment onto the laws of the state. And people who wish to dismiss that would also dismiss every other right that they like. Yeah, and, and you know, the lar- a large question, because first of all, that'd be very hard to do. There are 400 million guns in America. I read. Right. Take a long time to confiscate them. And, and here's Jason Wiley is a very good, is a very good man. It's a very good uh, article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about all this. And he goes through the numbers. There have been 13 episodes like this since 1966, 
right? Which on campuses, on campuses, and and yeah. and it's very small numbers, right? And that means that people never tell you the numbers. They talk about the increase, right? Because there have been rather more frequent in the last decade since Columbine in in Colorado, uh, and you know you have to and just remember you're trying to stop something that almost never happened. And and that's a that's a high you know sometimes we say we have a, a kid that's being naughty sometimes seriously naughty not very often and then sometimes I'll look at the admissions director and, and say wait what are you doing down there and and he will say you know it's it's one you know out of you know twelve fourteen uh, four times three sixty that's that's uh, that's how many are admitted over four years, and so that so you, you, to, if you set out to eradicate a thing that's already not happened commonly, commonly, that's very hard. Uh, there is a change I would make following Alex Berenson, who used to be a New York Times journalist and left because he couldn't bear to work there anymore, uh, and he has a he has a blog, by the way, or a email chain called Unreported Truth, and I read that because I... And a very good speech at Imprimus uh, this yeah. month. Very good speech. And his first big cause was marijuana. And his wife worked at that time. She's retired now, I think, or she's left it. <laughs> she's a psychiatrist at a inst- uh, institution for the crim- criminally insane in New York City. And there's a... It's apparently it's not... Con- you should read the Imprimus. It's it's very good. It has the word marijuana in the time title, so if you put marijuana and imprimus, you'll find it. Um, it's accepted, according to Alex Berenson and his wife, in the scientific literature that heavy marijuana use causes schizophrenia. And all of the serial killers or mass killers in that institution were, had been heavy marijuana users. And and uh, apparently this is not controversial. It's not. His book at length explains this. I dis, I part company with him on COVID, but I, I agree with him on marijuana. It is not debatable. See, once again, he's right. You're wrong. <laughs> um, he's a he's he's a you know he's a independent cuss, right? And I, 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 iconoclastic thinker and very yeah, smart. very much and and uh, smart. You know so. I like to read people like that because there's so much rubbish out there. Uh, yeah, and so, I, you know, I would do something about that, right? I don't think it's good for a young person. We don't permit them to do that here, although it's legal in Michigan now. And, you know, it's, it, you know, uh, I had one kid, I think, say to me, okay, it's legal now. And I said, and? And he said, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that is the, it may be legal in the state. It is not permitted on our campus. And I wish that more people would adopt that attitude because, as Alex has pointed out, study after study demonstrates a causal uh, relationship between heavy, heavy marijuana use and psychotic breaks. When we come back, I'm going to get to the ultimate issue, as Dennis Prager would like to say. At the end of the movie, The Bridges of Toko Re, the commander who watches the naval aviator marvels from where do we get such men the question is different now from where do we get such young men and what is it that we are doing that is a conveyor belt of monsters rolling off 
at the end of it. I'll be right back with more from Dr. Arn. Stay tuned to the Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue writ large. Hillsdale's entire project is really about moral formation and character. But I still am going to ask Dr. Arn in six minutes to answer the question that is at the back of from where do we get these monsters? How, how has America become a conveyor belt for monsters? Uh, well, and so, Dr. Arndt, what has happened? Well, you have to remember that there are a few monsters, but, but you know, there are more than there used to be, and there's enough to make a difference. And, you know, there's a cultural problem that's very deep and very wide, and that is lots of kids, especially boys, grow up without fathers in the home, and they grow up in a crime-ridden area where crime is the way up. I mean, in Chicago right now, there's just slaughter and mayhem going on every day. Yes. And, and you, you know, if you live in one of those places and, you, and you're strong and you take good care of your kids, you still don't know if the kid's not going to be shot by stray gunfire. And, and so... The point is, we're not equipped today to pursue the old wisdom. But the old wisdom is, kids do better if they grow up in a home with a mother and a father. And that's and the boys and the girls both learn from the mother and the father how men and women are supposed to act and how they're supposed to act toward each other. And if that breaks down then the state is the substitute. And by the way, that's a, that's a direction of policy now in America. But the state is a poor substitute. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's, we've got some big problems here. And if you try to do everything, like school, you know, on, we're a big force in charter education, K-12 education. And, you know, we're working on it for 10 years, and we spend money on it every year, and we're building curricula, and they're good and all that. But the truth is, the decisive things happen in the school, and we don't forget that. We remember it in part because we know that about here. Like those things we talked about, gun, about security policy at Hillsdale College. Another feature I didn't mention of it is we don't depute the students, large and small and all ages, to carry guns around the campus. Right? We effectively forbid it. Uh, Michigan law forbids it, some, in some places, in many places. But, uh, but we don't think that's the solution because, you know, they're young. And they get in the dormitory and they, you know, and they're supposed to be able to have fun. There may be beer. Yeah, well, not in the dormitory we punish that. So there's not much beer and, and the RAs catch them. And, you know, we don't, you don't want the students ever to get drunk. They do sometimes. And, uh, you know, we have senior dinner at my house, and all the seniors come over, and I serve them wine. And I think in 22 years of doing that, I think I've had two get drunk and threw them out of the house. But it, that means it happens, though. And, uh, and I give them a little talk about it. You can't be drinking if you're going to drive a car away from here, all that. And they know not to bring their car. Uh, so, yeah, in other words... As much as possible, these decisions should be made locally. And we've, we lose that, right? When we think of education today, we think of unreadable rules and 
policies that are made in places far distant from where children actually learn. And it should be made close, and it should be implemented by the people there. The, the proper sovereign in education is the school where the parents and the teachers who love the children and know them gather with the children. And so these rough guideline policies that we implement here, which we don't very much in the charter schools because the law is different and because we don't own them, but, you know, you you know, just get a thinking principle and... And and see, I, I don't know what can explain Texas, for goodness sakes. Those cops standing outside listening to gunfire go off in a room where kids are. Uh, and, you know, and phone, 911 calls coming out of the room, right? That's just shameful. And And I think that somebody who knows the children would be less likely to do that. Uh... But they also need to get their minds around it. In other words, if we don't take responsibility for our society and our government, our society and our government are taking responsibility for us. When we come back next week, we're going to talk a very practical hour, the most practical hour and decade of Hillsdale Dialogue. How do you pick a school? I mean, really, how do you pick a school? And uh, as a grandparent, I've begun to lobby my my children that my grandchildren not go to public schools unless they have been thoroughly vetted, because I no longer have confidence in the public schools into which my kids went. But I'm going to ask Dr. Arn, if you're if you're a parent out there and you're picking a school and you're weighing the cost and the location, how do you do it? I don't know. Uh, It was easy for me. It was easy for my parents. But it's not easy for young parents. And Dr. Arn will be back next week to talk about that. And then we're going to get into the ethics and go back to our Hillsdale Dialogue regular. But one week of looking forward and one week of looking backward. And next week we're looking forward. So do not miss the next Hillsdale Dialogue. Dr. Larry Arn will be back. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.